Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Senior Pastor Matt Homeyer. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning. Good morning. morning. We welcome you to Trinity Baptist Church this morning. Orchestra, thanks for playing for us today. Corral, good to see you today. You look great. We're glad you're here. Let me pray for us as we enter into this sermon moment this morning. God, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for the extra hour of sleep. For some of us anyway, we thank you for rest. We thank you for breath in our lungs. We thank you for life this morning. We thank you for our families this morning as today we discuss some of the difficult parts of being family and and how we make our way through those. We are thankful for this gift of family, for the family of faith you have given us, God. For this and so much more, we're grateful. Speak to us, God, as we have need. In your name we pray. Amen. We are continuing this morning our our series in our our fourth and fifth weeks on forming faithful families and, and looking at the various roles we play in our families and how those roles shape us. Uh, as, as followers of Christ and how uh, we are also in actively shaping faithful families by the roles that we play, looking at, at both angles of this today. Today we look at flawed families. All of us live in flawed families, in, in weird families, in families that, that aren't quote unquote normal, whatever exactly that means. That's kind of one of our standards today. There is no normal family. There is no completely healthy family without any flaws, without any hangups. We, we need to embrace this together. I mentioned in the first sermon in the series that I grew up thinking I was a part of a a fairly quote unquote normal family. Again, without much reflection, didn't really think about what that means until I got married and and Kelly integrated into my weird family or attempted to, she's done it well, um, and, and revealed some things to us that I thought were just normal, that once you get kind of a mirror that reflects on it, it is not normal at all. And and, you know, we all have these things. I mean, I, I thought it was normal to be around, to be raised in sort of a herd of, of extended family and cousins and aunts and uncles. And when you played like fourth grade t-ball, or no, I was not in t-ball in fourth grade. I wasn't great, but I was better than that. When you play in Little League, like in fourth grade, to have 15 to 20 mom, my mom and my dad and grandparents and aunts and great aunts and, you know, and in-laws and outlaws and everybody else show up to your game. I thought it was normal to have the TV on loud whenever you walked into the house. Like you didn't even need to be watching it. It just needed to be on no matter what. I I thought it was normal that you talked over people and you sort of got louder to make your points. And the louder you could make your point, the more impressive your point often was. There's so many of these things. I thought it was normal to road trip and sing uh, Big River, the musical, at the top of our lungs the entire time, or Sandy Patty, you know, whatever it was. That that, no, it was not. We all have these things in our families that, that we take as normal, that, that really are weird. 
And some of the weird parts of our lives are endearing and kind of benign, they're cute. And some of them are, are mildly harmful or, or they shape us, perhaps mal-shape us in some ways. And some of them are downright traumatic and downright abusive. We all have varying degrees of these things in, in our families. And if we today are gonna, in this series, really talk about the fullness of family, we, we need to be honest about that. And it's complicated to be honest about that because often the source of some of our hurt are people we love dearly and who love us and we're doing their best. And so forgiveness is needed in here. Grace is needed in this conversation. Uh, we also have to own, if we're being fully honest in this, we have a role at times in, in our flawed family. We've caused hurt. We've caused pain. We have not been Christ-like in our family, maybe in the, the, the recent past, maybe in the distant past, and we need to own our role in that. So this is difficult stuff we talk about today, but again, if we are want to be in this work of forming faithful families, we must deal with both the flaws in our families and the flaws in ourselves that have worked in our families. It's interesting. If you were just guessing at the Bible, you would assume the Bible would be filled with stories of quote unquote normal, healthy families. I'm gonna just stop doing the quotes, all right? You get it. I don't need to say that every single time. That there would be mom and dad and, and several kids that go on to do wonderful things and families without drama, families without abuse, families without negative stories. That the Bible would be filled with these stories of healthy families from Genesis, Genesis to Revelation. And then that God only works through really healthy, functioning, moving forward families. That's the way the kingdom of God has worked. And, and we would be absolutely wrong. In fact, it's fascinating. If you pour through the, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you are hard pressed to find one family that you would really wanna be a part of, <laughs> that, that you would really consider faithful without scandal, without something in the closet, without something that we know about where you go, all right, they're good people, but you need to know this, you know? I mean, John the Baptist may be the closest to a really healthy family we get. I mean, dad is a priest, mom is the daughter of priests, priests are grand, grand, the grandfathers are priests going back on all side. His, his parents loved him and provided for him from the best we know. He was prayed for, an angel announces his birth. I mean, Jesus comes in, you know, Jesus is a cousin, Jesus in the womb come and visits him. Like, this is a pretty good family, but let's be honest, if you grew up with John the Baptist, and 15 years later, you hear, you know, remember John? Remember that guy? He was a little odd. He's moved out in the country. He wears camel hair. He eats bugs and he's preaching about the kingdom of God. That'd be hard to explain to the neighbors, you know? <laughs> he turns out a little bit odd. We, we think we want our kids to be used greatly by God. When they are, if they are, it will rarely make sense to the neighbors. Let's just say that. We could go on with the other heroes of the Bible. And the, the oddities in their family, the, the traumas in their family, the weirdness in their family, both somewhat benign and, and much more problematic. Mothers come off pretty good in scripture. 
as a whole, mothers are found praying to have a child. Mothers are found nurturing in many, many cases we could go through. Mothers are found praying for healthy families. Fathers and brothers really don't come off good. I mean, virtually every time there is a flawed family in the Bible, which is all of them, it is a cause of a father or a brother have done something very harmful. I mean, we can just go through kind of some of the, the big names in the Bible. I mean, Abraham passes his wife off as his sister twice in order to get out of danger for Abraham. Uh, going down the list, Joseph sold his brother, sold into slavery by his brothers, sets off this whole chain of events of, of destruction that God ends up working in in Joseph's life, ends it up kind of playing tricks on his own brothers down the road. Uh, Jacob tricks his brother into his birthright that he has the blessing, ends up having to run away because of that, being tricked by his father-in-law into marrying the wrong sister. On and on the trickery of Jacob goes. Again, these are just hitting some highlights. We could do so much more. David, who we'll talk about today, provides as much material for any, as anyone for a flawed family, possibly because we just have so much information about David. He won, quite literally, as problematic as that is, his first wife, Michael, by killing a giant, quite the foundation for a healthy marriage, don't you think? She ends up maybe unsurprisingly despising him as her dad tries to kill David and David ends up deposing her dad as king. She's married to someone else and uh, David steals her back from, from him. After he was king, David has a very famous affair, which is the subject of our, our text this morning. Psalm 51, we'll be in in a minute. He arranged for this woman's husband to be killed uh, to hide the affair, the baby born of this affair, if affair is what we can call it, it, it likely reads like assault. The son born of that affair died. David seems to be a, a surprisingly uh, poor father. One son sexually assaulted one of his daughters. The brother of that daughter kills the son who, who caused the assault. Then Absalom, this one that killed the other son, rebels against David. Almost all of Israel followed Absalom who tried to kill David. I could go on and on about the flaws in the family of the man after God's own heart. Feel a little better? about your family? Do you accept the premise? All of our families have some things. That does not mean God is not at work in our families. That does not mean the end, our family story is written or doomed or is over. God has this way. In each of these families, God worked powerfully God did big things. God often worked for generations in these families, not because of this, but in spite of this. And so often we feel in our families that, boy, everybody else has it together and we don't, never the case. Or often we feel like, man, because of this, pastor, if you only knew this, you would know God's not gonna be at work here. There's not gonna be blessing here. God doesn't have something for me in this, never the case. 
as we talked about in Acts in our series this morning, when we look at the families God uses throughout history, it sure seems to be God has a predilection for working in the most unlikely of families in the most unlikely of ways. The story is never written, never determined of what God can and will do through our families, through us as flawed and broken as we are. There are some things we can see in these families, I think, taken as a whole that we can learn from, that we can apply to our life today. But, but here, if you have ever felt like the unlikeliest person God could use, if you could ever felt like your family is the unlikeliest family to ever be redeemed, to ever have your flaws fixed, to ever have God bless, you're in really good biblical company. And I hope that is some comfort to you. Now, if we look at these flawed families, all of whom were used as a big part of God's plan for the world, it seems that the mark they share, the mark they hold in common, is that when great sin or great hurt occurred, one, God didn't forget them, which is common to all of our stories. God doesn't turn his back on us when we are less than perfect. God doesn't leave us to our own devices when, we are, when our flaws show. God remains close. God remains forward facing to us. God remains ready to move and act on our behalf. But just as importantly, when these big things happen, they stubbornly, tenaciously kept returning to God. They kept hoping in God. They, they kept being open to be used by God. God didn't relent in his love for them, and they didn't relent, at least for long, in their pursuit of God. We get a glimpse of how a family deals with its flaws in, in one of David's Psalms, Psalm 51. If you have your Bible with you today or, or have it on your phone or in the pew, uh, you might wanna read kind of some of what we're talking about here. If you turn to Psalm 51, as with many Psalms, you, there'll be a little heading kind of above it that explains a little bit about what's going on or the, the situation there. And sometimes those make sense to us and sometimes they don't. This one probably says something like this psalm came to David after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Interesting lead-in to a psalm. This probably happens after Nathan has confronted David in his sin. His sin has been called out. And probably after or around the time, we assume, the son of this union is dying or has died. And so David is, is in his guilt. David is in his grief. And it's an honest, transparent admission of his wrong, a description of his agony, and a pleading with God, asking God to cleanse him of his sin and restore him. First thing David does is ask for forgiveness and confess. Is where we'll kind of get to these points here toward the end. But in the mess that David has made of his life, the first thing he does as he comes to God in this way that is passed down for us 
is to ask for forgiveness and confess. We see it in verse three, for I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me, always before me. It's there, he can't run from it. He can't think about anything else. He can't get away from it. He describes his, his bones as crushed by the weight of this. Confession is simply a telling of what has happened, an honest account for what has happened. In this case, the sin that had been, has been committed. Confession opens the flow of our life for God to work in. Confession is often the first step of what, when we feel like God is silent or we feel like God is not there or we feel like we're being punished by God or something like that. We feel guilt. Confession is what opens that tap for God to flow again into our life. It is, it is needed to start this process of cleansing, to start the process of healing. When we practice confession, we find that the worst we have to share, the worst we have to share does not end in our destruction or it doesn't end in increased guilt or it doesn't end in God condemning us for what we've done. But it inevitably ends in love, in forgiveness, and often in time restoration. In David's position, y'all, wouldn't it have been easy to do anything but confession? I mean, he is the king. When confronted by Nathan the prophet, when faced with this situation, he could, you know, his initial instincts were so bad. We got to kill Uriah and, and cover this all up. We can all admit that was a bad decision. But the bad decisions didn't continue. He, he rightfully has to be held responsible for that. But he, he could have had Nathan killed as well. Once you started that path, he had the power to do it quite obviously and get away with it. He, he could have somehow rewritten this narrative officially, publicly, that, that writes him as the hero rescuing this widow in her distress, raising this child. He could have just ignored it. He could have made Bathsheba go away. He could have handled this situation in any number of ways beyond honest confession. And it would have been, if we're honest, so tempting to deal with this any other ways. He could have just wallowed in self-pity. Pain can be soothing, can't it, at times? He, he could have enjoyed or, or wallowed in that pain and remained in that state in which we, he was in. He could have thought maybe like many of us that he wasn't deserving of forgiveness that what he was done was so bad, he had earned his pain and he should remain in that. What right did he have to be forgiven if Uriah and this son were dead? What would Uriah's family say if they knew the whole truth and thought David was asking to be cleansed? He could have given in to that mindset. These are proud thoughts. And our pride often prevents forgiveness confession and healing in our lives. Instead of all of those other possible outcomes, all of which would have resulted in distance between David and God, between that gap perhaps that had, David had wedged in there growing deeper and wider and wider, David chooses to confess. He admits his mistake. 
And in his brokenness, as his sins and mistakes are always before him, he refuses to turn away from God. And he finds God has not turned his back on David. That is the greatness of God. That he never turns his back on us. Never turns away from us, even the worst of us. I mean, think of the miracle of this, friends. This is what our existence, this is what our salvation, this is what our continuance in the faith rests upon. Of all the ways we fall short of the glory of God, of all the ways humanity in an act or a season or a time turns its back on the ways of God, God has not turned his back on David, does not turn his back on us. That is not gentle love. It is love that is fierce, love that is tenacious, love that has grip and clings to us whether we want it to or not. It sticks with us. After all David has done, he continues seeking God. I know what I've done, God, against you. It's against you and you alone. You are right when you judge. All that has happened to me is just, just. And he dares to ask of God. He dares to ask of forgiveness. Dares to imagine a hopeful future. Cleanse me now, God, I will be clean. Wash me, I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin, blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me out from your presence. Restore me to the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. He, he, he appeals to, to the steadfast love of God, this great Hebrew word hesed, which means righteousness, steadfastness, love, the never ending faithfulness of love and love of God, never ending. He says, God, this is who you are. Your love continues unabated. Your, your grace continues unstopped. You never turn your back on us. God, would you give me that heart? Would you create that type of spirit in me? I've rebelled in so many ways. Give me that heart that never stops pursuing you so that I would know joy once again, so that there's a, a new outcome of my life, new hope th through who you've created me to be. He asked for that same type of spirit, that spirit like the love of God to be renewed within him. What courage. What audacity, what tenacious spirit of hope that would not give up in spite of the worst David could do. All of us come from families that have flaws. These flaws and imperfections take infinite form. Some relatively minor, some massive, tragic, devastating, things we wonder if we will ever survive. Abuse and addiction and divorce and brokenness and unforgiveness and condemnation and the list goes on. Some 
raised in families where, where God was just not a part of that. Faith wasn't important, wasn't taught. And, and so to, the concept of a faithful family is something you're having to learn on the fly. Some raised in families that were cold and distant and withholding. Others raised in families that were hovering and overprotective or, or some emotionally manipulated or, or some that were constantly trying to gain leverage on one another. On and on and on the possibilities go, the ways we have been shaped by the flaws in our family. And we have to be honest about this. This is why a lot of us have counseling, go into counseling at times to help process or come in and speak with pastors or friends or others to help process how this has shaped us and how this, where it's created barriers in life, where it's created opportunities in our life, but to process this and understand how our families have shaped us into who we are, how they continue to today. But we also have to recognize on the flip side we have probably had a role in the flaws that are shaping our family. We likely have caused hurt. We have caused pain. We are in need of confession and, and seeking forgiveness for the role we have played in this. For if we're close enough or long enough, that is inevitable. The best of us. And so here's the balance we must walk this morning. The flaws in our family have shaped us. They have had a big influence on us, so we can't ignore them. At the same time, we can't give these flaws too much power over us to dwell on them to the point where their influence forever, forever dominates our lives. It's often a, a tragedy that these flaws exist, yes. The only greater tragedy would be if these flaws forever enslave us to their influence and steal from us the joy that family can be. The joy of being a part of a faithful family that loves as Christ loved. The, the greater tragedy would be that they steal from us the richness God intends for us to experience in our families. So we must follow David's example whether it is the flaws in our family we're dealing with or the sin in our life that has caused hurt to others. Dealing with them is much the same. Tenaciously cling to the love of God and the ways of God. Refuse distance between you and the ways of God. Refuse to hide from the hurt that has been caused or the hurt you have caused. Refuse to believe you cannot be forgiven. Refuse to believe there is not a future being written for you or your story. Cling to the ways of God, hope in the ways of God. Dare to imagine a new future that God can and will bring about in time. Confess and seek forgiveness where you have fault, where you have sin, where you have caused hurt. Confess to God, if appropriate and possible, confess to the person that has hurt. Seek forgiveness and leave the rest to God. The reality is we only can control us. We can't control the responses of others. We can't control others, even our own children, much less as it gets further out from that. Sometimes it feels like 
we ourselves are beyond our control. (laughs) Does it not? When we get in our own way, we can seek to name in front of God what we have done, what has been done to us, to seek forgiveness, and in many cases, seek to extend forgiveness to others, to extend grace, unmerited favor to others, and see if healing might begin. Tenaciously cling to the ways of God, confess and seek forgiveness or extend forgiveness, and love as Christ commands us to love in all things. Here is the same message in each of these sermons about family, perhaps the same message that comes with any message we may give. The call is to love as God loves in all things, the love that does not seek vengeance and retribution, the love that does not seek to keep score, the love that seeks to serve others and give of ourselves. At the end of the day, as I said, the only person you can control is you. But if we cling to God in the ways of God, if we confess and forgive, if we show grace and love, we may just see flaws heal in our family. Robert Creech, who who was an interim here and and is a member here worshiping and teaching at TriPoint, writes about family systems. And he says, we all have roles in our family, but all we can control is us. But if, if we play our role, it affects all of the other roles. If we seek to be healthy, if we seek to, seek to be Christ-like in, in our family system, it, it affects the rest of the system. We might just find other relationships healed. We might just find the spirit moving in ways we did not expect. This is not easy and the work is often not quick. But the work of tenacious love is sure. As God refuses to turn his face from us and our family, as we resolutely cling to him and refuse to turn from him, our lives and the lives of our families will be faithfully formed. Whatever our family history, whatever our present family reality, one of the great keys to forming faithful families, the great keys to a life of following Christ is this tenacity of spirit David shows us and asks for this willingness, this heart, this soul that keeps turning to God. Let me pray for us. God, we confess we don't understand much of the pain in our families, the why of it, sometimes the how of it certainly why it has to exist in the first place. But if there is one thing sure, it is that your creatures will mess up things meant for good. Family is meant for good. It's meant for our support. It's given to us as a great gift from you. And in so many ways it is, and then so many ways it falls short. Help us to redeem it. Help us to model your love and forgiveness and tenacity. Father, we we pray and give thanks that we can give you our hurt in our families. 
and we do not have to ignore them or hide for them. Or when we come into a family of faith, we don't have to dress up and pretend like they don't exist, like we're the only ones who have them. But we come together, all of us as broken people and flawed families, seeking you to work in each of us and all of us the same. In your name we pray, amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with senior pastor, Matt Hellmeyer. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.